me and it's the Shagilola Salami Show. How are you doing? Oh, I know, I know. It's been a long time since you've heard my voice and I can only apologize. You know, it's been, life got in the way. It's been one drama of the other and I didn't even get a chance to say to you, oh, I would not be recording any soon. And just because I didn't plan it, it just sort of happened. You know, we've just had literally lots of dramas. But thankfully, fingers crossed, touch wood, Everything is now going to be going forward ever, backward never, and it will be all good things for everyone. Um, and I'm seriously counting down because my little girl, my little human, she's, her birthday's in two months time, and she's literally been lamenting and going, I want, and she's really specific, right? So she goes, I want a birthday present. I want a pink bicycle because my favorite color is pink. This is what she says. She doesn't want just a pink bicycle. She wants a bicycle with a horn and a ribbon and a basket with two presents inside the basket with two pink cakes. Yeah, so that's what we've got to look forward to. Um, in two months time yeah so I think this weekend I'm going to be practicing doing some um, decoration because I'm thinking 3d cakes well anywho before I get carried away who have I got here with me hi Shigola this is David F Gray I am a writer uh, author of Gamble's Run and I'm very excited to be here today oh fabulous how are you David I'm doing great uh, this is a virtual cafe is it not it is indeed. Well, in that case, I will have a virtual protein shake followed by a virtual latte. Fabulous, fabulous. And would you like some cake with that? Uh, as long as it's pink. <laughs> I like you. I like you. I think my daughter would like you as well because she always goes, my favorite color is pink. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fabulous. You see, right? You see, this is my cafe. It is very futuristic. I think we've stepped into the future. Think Star Trek, whatever you can imagine, my coffee can get it. So well, I am a Star Trek fan since 1971, so I am very comfortable here. Fabulous, fabulous, even better. So tell me, you said you're an author. What sort of books do you write? Well, I tend to hang out in the uh, horror genre. Uh, my latest uh, uh, novel is Gamble's Run, and it has definitely got horror elements. Um, but it's also, uh, there's a very strong love story. There's a bit of romance um, and a lot of action. So uh, I, I like to, uh, I call myself a horror writer, but I do like to mix genres. I like to have a little bit of everything in my, in my work. Yeah, because, you know, one genre alone would be quite boring. And I think a lot of the time in a lot of books that I've read, and I don't know if it's just my taste, but there always seems to be some element of romance. I think there has to be something in... Um, uh, uh, you, you've got to put everything in there. Not everything. Let me let me backtrack on that a little bit. You have to. You cannot limit yourself to a single thread of a genre. You have to. I mean, people are human beings. We are all inclusive. We, you know, I, I uh, have a little bit of drama in my life. I have a little bit of romance. I have a lot of romance, fortunately. Uh, <laughs> a, a lot of romance in my life. I have a bit of action, and every now and then, I'll wake up in the middle of the night with a bit of horror. So. Um, I think, you know, uh, the best novels are ones that have all of that and are very are well-rounded. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. See, now I'm actually quite curious. You see, I am a big advocate of continuing professional development. I am a big advocate of, you know, never just resting and thinking you know it all and, you know, trying to improve yourself. Um, and so last year, you know, I attempted to, 
And, you know, because again, I write, you know, well, this was my first time in trying to do horror. Um, mm -hmm. But it was like steamy horror because obviously, like you said, you can't do um, just one genre. Um, and I did, I wrote it under the pen name um, Elizabeth um, Salauer. So I don't know if I actually succeeded. And this was my first time, so I probably wasn't very good at it. You know, again, you're always your own worst critic. And so, but then I, I don't, I'm a scaredy cat. And I really wanted to write horror, but then I started scaring myself. <laughs> so how do you write horror? Well, I have a very simple rule, and this works for me. I don't know if it works for anybody else, but for me, all things serve the story. And so I have to have, if I have a good story that happens to have scary elements in it, then that's where I know I'm on the right track. I cannot just write just to scare somebody. Um, I have to have... A story that is intriguing, and for me, the best horror stories are before it gets before it gets to the scary stuff. You have to start with a mystery, yeah. and a mystery a mystery of what you know what exactly is going on here. What is this world I am in? What are the rules? And once you get once you get that, once you start to solve the mystery, then then the scary stuff can come along a little bit. But but all things have to serve the story. You have to have a good intriguing story with with intriguing characters that you actually care about. I can't tell you. I'm not really big on horror movies all that much. I'll watch a few every now and then, but some of what I've watched have been, the characters have been so flat. I found myself rooting for the bad guy yeah. because these, the characters are just so unlikable. So, <laughs> you know, that is, you know, it's, it's, you have to start with a good story. That's the, for me at any rate, if I have a good story, then, you know, when the scary stuff comes, then you actually care about it. Yeah. Okay. But then sometimes I ask myself, right? So, I remember when I was a kid, there were some stories or movies that I had watched and I thought they were really scary. But mm -hmm. then, you know, as an adult, you know, I've then watched the movie again. It's kind of like Chucky, right? I think most people know Chucky. Well, most people over a certain age know Chucky, right? So, Chucky, that's, that's a new one on me. I don't know that one. Oh, that, you know, that doll. You know, that children's doll that he was possessed and he went on a killing rampage? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, uh, a little bit of Chucky. Chucky, Chucky. Yes. Uh, sorry. Yes, Chucky, yes. <laughs> yes, right. See, now, when I was a child, that was really scary. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, burn all the dolls in the house. That was, you know, that was really scary. And then, as an adult, I'm like, oh, really? Like, why was I scared about that? So, it's like, yeah, yeah. So then, I guess, in my mind, it's like, how do you know that a lot more of the target audience would find it scary? So, even though... You, and then, you know, some people have a higher threshold for being afraid, more sure. than some people. How do you then that create that balance to meet or to reach or to be scary to a whole lot more people? And then the people go, oh, no, that's not scary. Yeah, it, it, and it's not easy because the audience, the horror audience particularly, has become very desensitized these days. Mm. There's, uh, there, is a lot of, um, there is a lot of material on the market. And a lot of it's good, a lot of it isn't. Um, but it's, it's, uh, the audience has become very desensitized. It's very hard to shock your audience. So what I do, I don't try to shock my audience. I try to put in situations that are genuinely scary. And what I found uh, just from my own research and from my own personal experience, you're right. Uh, Chucky is more comedic now than he was back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, know, he, he, you know, I sit there, I, I will laugh at the little, little, little bugger now. But um, uh, but what I think what scares you as you become older and an adult is is loss. 
um, when you become a parent, all of a sudden, what do they, what do they say when you become a parent uh, for the first time, your heart is outside your body. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and so, you know, you're, you do everything you can to protect your child. You know, then, 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 of course, as your child grows up, you know, they hit their teenage years and you say, well, okay, when, okay, where it's about time for them to be rebelling and start realizing that their father is an idiot. And then, you know, that, that's a little scary. And then they move on and then they, then they uh, start to realize that their father isn't an idiot and then maybe he's smart. Then all of a sudden you realize that you have to start dispensing wisdom and that's a little scary too. But I think, you know, I'm, I'm wondering a little bit, but I think, uh, I think what scares all of us in a sense is the fear of loss, the fear of loss that we, of, of things that we, and people that we dearly care about. And that is, um, uh, that is, I think that's universal. Uh, I can, I can give you a good example. It just popped into my mind. Um, back in the seventies, uh, everybody was talking about a sitcom over here called all in the family. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was a remake of a British, uh, sitcom, but it was groundbreaking. It was very political. It was uh, very. It was. It, it dealt with issues of race, of prejudice, of of, of politics, um, but it it has become, like you said, it's become so dated that it's not. It's it's today we look at it as more quaint than anything. Yeah. However, there was also another series at the same time uh, that uh, that was on. It's called Mash. Mash dealt with army surgeons in the Korean War, and that show is just as relevant today as it was back in 1975, because unfortunately, war is still with us. Uh, the effect war has on people is still with us. So I, I, when I write, I try to look for more universal elements of, um, you know, rather than what is the issue of the day, what is, uh, uh, what is the uh, hot, hot topic today, I try to look for more uni universal elements of, of, of uh, what are people what are people afraid of now? What were they, what are we have always been afraid of? What have we been, what, what concerns us? What, uh, what, uh, you know, what, 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 the, what is the human condition when it comes to fear? Mm. So if I understand what you're saying, so your story, yes, it's, it's more, it's more based on our actual reality because I'm a fantasy fan, right? Mm -hmm. So my first attempt, right a writing mm -hmm. horror was supposed to be a fantasy horror that i then sort of did a nice mishmash of <laughs> anyway right so do you think right trying to write realistic horror would be different to writing fantasy horror if that makes sense well I, I i can tell you how it is for me for me the things that scare me are the ones that are more realistic the things that could be happening next door or in the next room for that matter uh, horror that is set in the real world. Uh, that now that's just me. I love fantasy. Matter of fact, I'm rereading one of my favorite uh, series uh, by an author called Stephen Lawhead. It's called The Pendragon Cycle. Uh, I just absolutely adore those books. It's a retelling of the King Arthur legend, and uh, I, uh, I I read I, I discovered those books. Matter of fact, I love those books so much. Um, Let's see, the, I've, I've discovered them about 26, 27 years ago. And I love them so much, I named my daughter after one of the main characters. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, I just absolutely adore those, those books. And they're so rich and so, um, uh, it, it deals with a lot of Celtic uh, myth, Celtic, um, uh, Celtic uh, mythology. 
and it's just uh i just i mean it's just so the 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 way he presents it is so rich and i the only word i can describe it is green it's so very green and alive yeah. and and you know and then and, and but i for me i have to write in the real world and what i like what i like to do for me the best work is when you t my best work is when i can take the real world and skew it just a little bit to where when you look at it you sort of say huh Okay, so now, so you've written one book, and did you say you've got another one in progress, or is that? I actually have two in progress. Gamble's Run, um, I um, have two more books in mind for that series, and I'm also writing another book uh, called uh, The Vegas Rift, which is set in, obviously, Las Vegas. Uh, that is uh, going very well right now. As a matter of fact, I just hit the halfway point of it last night, and I'm very pleased with this progress. Uh, you talk about, you know, scaring yourself. Hmm. Um, I wrote a scene that uh, actually kept me up uh, all night the other night. <laughs> it's a good um, thing I know I'm not the only scaredy cat. You know, sometimes I'm afraid of my own imagination. Like, seriously? You know. mm -hmm. My imagination, my mind is a, is, a, is a really scary, scary place, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I shouldn't even say this, but I'm not going to say it anyway. So, if, oh, you've say, ever, say. if you've ever watched, you know, the originals, which was a spin of, of the Vampire Diaries, I know it was like, yeah, whatever. Anyway, so there was this episode where Elijah, he's one of the vampires, you know, where he was lost in his own head and he was so scared to open the door because he was scared of what he was going to find in that doorway leading into his mind. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like my imagination is so crazy, right, that I wouldn't even want to get stuck in my head. Yeah, and you follow that rabbit hole through that door. I'm sorry for the mixed metaphor, but you follow that trail and you could find yourself in a very dark place. I know, right? So, like, yeah. so that's why it's like I start writing and I think I want to write this and I think you know, like, no, that's really scary. If I write this, right? It's like it's like I'm given there is this thing, there was this cartoon one here where it was like, you know, you draw an imaginary character and then the character comes to life. And mm -hmm. so I feel like if I start writing these imaginary, these things in my head, then I'm actually bringing them to life. And I really scare myself. And I'm like, no, I'm not putting this down on pen and paper. You know, it's, it's weird that you say that. Um, I've often, I, I don't know how, I, how much I believe this, but, you know, you, you put stuff out there. If you actually write it down or say it, you're putting it out there in the atmosphere. And in a very, in a very real sense, I think they do become real. If nothing else, they become real to you. And that can be unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> but then I guess your mind is not as crazy as my mind. So that's all right. I would debate that, but I think that might be a debate of hours rather than a few minutes that we have. <laughs> okay, right. So what have you learned from Gamble's Run? Just going through that process. Well, I learned I love history. Um, I always have, but I, I, I'm fascinated with history. Um, and Gamble's Run has a very historical uh, basis. Um, it's, uh, there, there's a, I actually got the idea for a story several years ago. I ran across the, um, um, an article in one of our local papers talking about a place called the Slave Canal. Mm. And I thought, well, what is a Slave Canal? So I started reading about it. It turns out uh, back in the... Uh, Pre, just uh, not long before the, our Civil War, um, 
a, a cotton grower, a wealthy cotton grower down here in Florida. I'm, I'm talking to you from Tampa, Florida. Okay. And uh, in central Florida, uh, a wealthy cotton grower, a plantation owner, uh, wanted to get his cotton down to the Gulf of Mexico faster. And what he did was uh, he wanted to connect two rivers because the river he had to use had a bad habit of disappearing underground. So he had to, they had to take it down so far to a certain, to a, a one river and then cross the land to another river. So he got the brilliant idea of um, digging a canal between the two rivers so they could just cut across and, and they, they'd have a straight shot to the Gulf of Mexico. Well, of course, being a slave owner, he had his slaves dig the canal. It was two and a half miles long. And uh, the Florida heat right now, it's September, and we're going to hit 90 today. Mm. And the, um, the uh, humidity is very, very bad. So, I, I, you know, imagine those poor men and women out there in that uh, literally jungle digging, to, digging a canal. Yeah. Uh, you know, reports that were several of them died. They were mistreated horribly. And uh, um, they dug the canal and opened it. And it was a colossal failure because it was dug too shallow. The, the uh, trees kept blocking the uh, falling trees, kept blocking the, the canal. And um, the barges kept getting hung up. So uh, it was abandoned. But the amazing thing is it's still there today. Okay. Uh, it's uh, and, and you know, like I said, to me that's a living history when you can actually reach out and touch something that was done a hundred, two hundred years ago. Uh, <clears throat> I think that's what one of the things that uh, fascinates me about well places like London. You can walk down the street and there you can walk past a church and that church was established in you know two, three hundred years before my country was even born. <laughs> and, and, and you can touch the you, know, you can touch the the rock and the stone, the cut stone and that that just fascinates me. I, that's that's one thing I learned about Gamble's Run when I run, when I um, when I wrote Gamble's Run is I have a fascination for uh, for history, not not the big events, but the little things. Yeah. Um, I uh, I went to a museum a while back. It was it had an, a, an, a, some Egyptian artifacts, and they had a, a perfectly preserved barge. Yeah. Uh, the kind of like the like the pharaoh would put himself in after he died, or they they would put him in and send him off down the river of the dead. So that, you know, yeah. um, uh, and there they, there was this barge, and it was all made of wood, and it was hand carved, and you could, you could see the chisel marks. After after thousands of years, you could see the chisel marks, and I, I thought, my God, somebody probably not all that unlike me stood there with a chisel with a hammer, and I could see their work from thousands of years ago. And I thought, well, who was this guy? You know, what did he do? How did, you know, did he, was he a slave? Was he a craftsman? Did he have a family? You know, and, uh, you know, you know, I realized that, you know, he, he probably did his job and then went home and maybe hugged his wife, kissed his kids, and then came back to work the next day. And his work is still there. That just absolutely fascinates me that I can see someone's work from thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago. So I absolutely love discovering little tidbits of history that people don't know about. And that's, again, that's one of the things I love about Gamble's Run is that it's, it's, it's just a little tiny piece of Florida history that is, it's relatively from an overall, overall grand scheme of things. It's not important. It didn't change anything. It, you know, it didn't guide the events of history or whatever, but it had a direct impact on the poor people who, um, who, um, who dug it. And it's still there today. That, that's, that just absolutely amazes me. I can imagine, because whilst we were talking, I had this big smile on my face, right? Because I could mm -hmm. just, you know, it was, I could almost see through my mind's eyes, you know, everything you were saying. Mm -hmm. 
It's, and and I, that's one thing I have discovered about my writing. I'm a very visual writer. Hmm. Uh, and and um, I, interestingly enough, you talk about getting inside your head. I dream very visually, and I tend to remember my dreams. And um, matter of fact, a big part of uh, the, the book I'm working on now comes from some images I, I dreamed. All right. Um, so I, I, I believe, I think you have to be, you can't, it's a fine line when you're writing, you can't over-describe something. Yeah. But, but you have to describe it well enough so that people can see it. Mm. Um, that's why I love, so like I said, that's why I, I love Stephen Lawhead so much, uh, the writer of the Pendragon Cycle, because yeah. he, he just describes stuff in such a rich way. That's actually, um, he's one of the, one of the, influ uh, one of the influences, uh, one of the uh, main influences of my writing. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft is one, uh, but Stephen Lawhead is a main influence, just the way he describes things. He uses a minimum of words, mm. but he gets a maximum impact. Nice. Okay, so I guess I'll have to check him out as well then. I would highly recommend him. There, there's uh, he actually has written several books, um, but start with the Pendragon Cycle. The, the three books are called Author. Uh, I'm sorry, Taliesin, Merlin, and Author. Okay. Um, and uh, then he's also written another series, and I cannot remember the. Um, um, is a, it is a strictly a fantasy series, uh, not based in history at all, but very deep in Celtic lore, but I can't remember the name of it offhand. Um, I'll see if I can, uh, if it comes to mind, I'll, I'll jump in and say something about it. No, that, that's fine. Yeah. So, you know, Thames Gamble's Run is your first, what, um, you know, your first book. How did you publish it? Did you self-publish it? Did you go with a publisher? Um, what's been, what has been your experience, you know, publishing and what would you be doing or how would you be publishing your follow-up books? Well, uh, I had a friend of mine who said self-publish the thing because you'll never find a publisher. Uh, the, the market is so saturated. But I had written some short stories that had been accepted by a, a small independent publisher called Hellbound Books, uh, Hellbound Books uh, Publishing. Mm. And on a whim, I sent them the proposal and they, they accepted it. Um, they, uh, 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 they accepted the proposal and then they accepted the novel. And a uh, matter of fact, what's exciting is uh, the book just came out in July, both in paperback and in uh, ebook. <clears throat> but uh, they've, they've, uh, they've decided uh, they've picked it to be part of their inaugural, inaugural group of uh, audiobooks. Oh, that they're going fabulous. To yeah, they're, they're, matter of fact, uh, uh, that's, that's being worked on right now. The uh, narration is being uh, laid down even as we speak. So that was exciting. But no, I looked at self-publishing which um, is a legitimate way to go. Uh, I mean, it's absolutely a legitimate way to go. I have no problem with it, but I really wanted, um, I really wanted to find a publisher, somebody who would uh, not just take on the responsibility of publishing, but also give, you know, some good constructive criticism. You know, it's like you said, when you stop learning, you tend to die. Yeah. Uh, at least inside you do. Um, but I, you know, I wanted somebody who would be brutal on my work, who would, who would critique it and would help me make it better. Yeah. Plus, I wanted, uh, I wanted somebody who'd work with me and um, guide me through the publication process. I'm, I write pretty good, but when it comes to the business end, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not very good at that. Yeah. So I, I, I decided uh, a while back not to go the self-publishing route because, I, honestly, I just didn't want the, uh, the hassle. So I, you know, like I said, I, I, I got my share of rejections, but uh, James Longmore is the uh, owner and uh, uh, publisher of Hellbound. He accepted it and he's been, that uh, we have a very good working relationship. Fabulous, that's, that's good to hear. Um, so would you be working with him for the subsequent books? Um, that is a good question. I, um, 
going to give him, I, I treat every book as if I'm starting over. Yeah. So I, I do not assume that the publisher who happened to publish Gamble's Run may want the Vegas Rift. Yeah. So um, I'm, you know, as soon as I finish it, I'm going to give him a proposal. He likes it fine. If not, then I'll shop it elsewhere. Okay. So what do you normally put in your proposal? Um, most proposals, uh, you'll do a synopsis. Uh, keep it short, sweet. It's about, you know, about a page. Some people will ask for a page or two of a synopsis, and you don't. <clears throat> You, you put on all the spoilers, you put in the plot, you put in the beginning, the middle and the end, you know, you don't hold anything back. You make sure, you know, this is where, this is where I'm starting. This is where I'm going and this is how it ends. Yeah. Uh, you usually include a couple of uh, sample chapters. Uh, you'll include a bibliography of uh, your other work and yeah. your experience. And then just, you know, a short bio biography of who you are and uh, why you should be the one to write this book and why you're the best person to write this book. Ah, okay. So it's not, you don't have, um, you know, in the, because when you say proposal, I almost automatically think, oh, you're going to say, you know, this is your projected amount of sales and this is your projected income. And so you're going to make them lots of money. And that's why they should then, you know, take your book. Ah, okay. I understand now. Well, mo what you do is when you, when you look at a publisher who you might want to submit to, you read their guidelines. And actually it doesn't hurt to read some of the stuff they put out as well. It's like, uh, like when I, uh, before I came on to your program, I listened to a little bit of uh, some other of the programs just to get a feel for what it was. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 you know, you, 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 every publisher, if you, you go on their web pages or wherever, you find out what exactly what they want, and then you follow those instructions to the letter. Yeah. Um, some people will ask two for three chapter, sample chapters. Some will only ask for one. Uh, almost always, they'll ask for a, 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 a synopsis. Hellbound actually asked for a marketing plan, which I said, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this on social media, and then I'm going to shut up and do whatever you guys tell me to do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, that sounds that sounds really good. Well, any final words of wisdom before we kick you off of the, you know, of the virtual cafe? Well, uh, I don't know that I have any wisdom. My one thing is, uh, if you, you know, those of those aspiring writers out there, of which I am still one, I have not even come close to reaching the level of success that uh, I want to reach at, re I want to reach. But I would say, first off, don't quit. Uh, just keep writing, keep submitting, you know, the, the rejections hurt when they come, but, you know, deal with it and then move on. Uh, keep reading. Uh, I would say to any writers of any particular genre, like, like my, 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 my genre is Horace, where I like to hang out in, but read across the board, read everything, read different, read the classics, read the new stuff, read, but read, read outside your genre. Don't, don't commit uh, literary inbreeding. You know? yeah. um, <laughs> you know, oh, that was actually good. I just made that up. That was actually pretty good. Wasn't it? <laughs> Um, but you know, just, just don't quit. Don't quit and keep learning above, you know, just keep learning. And, you know, sooner or later you'll find some success. Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And, maybe, and for me. Yes. And maybe we'll come again sometime in the future. I would like that very much. Okay. Well, um, before I kick you out, finally, I always get this out there. If someone wanted to connect with you, are you on Twitter? I am not. I don't. I'm not a big Twitter fan. You can find me on Facebook, uh, David F. Gray, uh, author. That's my Facebook page. You can also, if you go to Hellbound Books Publishing, you can find my author page there, uh, and that gives you all my contact information. Okay, fabulous. 
Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. And to everyone who's been listening, I hope you've had uh, enjoyed your time in the virtual cafe and we'll see you again sometime soon. Bye now.